This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're taking a critical look at the scale in episode number 125. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi. This is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I am super excited to be bringing you an interview this week. We are going to be talking to Bianca and Natasha from Bebo Mia. They're an organization that's supporting doulas and parents and doing so much good. I'm especially excited because the topic that we're going to talk about today is one that I personally have a passionate interest in, and that's looking critically at the guidelines for weight gain in women during pregnancy, and especially for women who happen to start pregnancy overweight. We're going to talk about what those guidelines say, whether or not they're evidence-based, and what you do need to take into account and consider if you're starting your pregnancy at a quote-unquote overweight point. So with that, we're going to jump right into the interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, ladies. This is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to be bringing you an interview today with two amazing ladies from Babo Mia. Babo Mia is a training and mentorship organization for women in the maternal health field, including pregnancy and birth professionals, childbirth educators, and parenting specialists. They offer comprehensive skills, business support, and community care through an innovative online structure that spans a global market. Babomia offers opportunities for women to work from home while making an income for themselves and their families. They develop inclusive, accessible trainings for women that provide the skills needed to grow and sustain a lucrative business. Babomia remains fiercely committed to their original mission that was developed in 2008 to connect women to their intrinsic value and power. Today, we're welcoming Bianca and Natasha from Babo Mia. Hi, ladies. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for the intro. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you became interested in pregnancy and birth and this amazing mission? Oh, well, Natasha and I met almost a decade ago. Um, and we had just done our weekend doula training, and we both sat on a board of directors here in uh, Ontario, Canada, and we carpooled back and forth to our meetings, and we thought it would be so amazing, because at the time, Natasha was going through some fertility issues, um, and we thought it would be so amazing to have a one-stop shop for fertility, pregnancy, and parenting services. Um, So we started just, like, bringing in amazing women who had different skills and created a really amazing, diverse team that could cover all the areas of trying to conceive, you know, birth and pregnancy and birth and then for parents. Um, And we've just since spent the last, like, 10 years just being information (laughs) monsters with with our crew. Um, Yeah, and, and around, so Bianca and I both had our own independent businesses when we merged the two and created Babomia, which was, um, like Bianca was saying, almost like a one-stop shop for new parents. And then over a few years, we had been hiring doulas, and then eventually doulas wanted to learn how we created it and um, how to become a doula. Like, women wanted to learn how to become a part of it. So we ended up starting Mm -hmm. our own training here in the city that we were running on Thursday nights and um, it was really comprehensive. It was three months long. We loved doing it. And then suddenly I was 
shipped off to uh, <laughs> Vancouver, which is very, very far away, um, for my husband's work. And we had to really quickly figure out what we were going to do with our business because Bianca and I love working together. We wanted to keep doing so. Um, so that's how we ended up doing this online training. It was mainly because we wanted to keep teaching and, and, and helping doulas or women become doulas. Um, and we needed to be creative and figure out a way how to do it. And it was actually the best thing we ever did because we had access now to women who otherwise wouldn't be able to have training anywhere else. And uh, mm-hmm. so that was amazing for us. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I mean, it's just, I mean, just setting something up locally that's such a resource for women and then being able to, to bring it online into a global scale is just, that's really cool, and I think it's really inspiring. I feel like one of the things that I hear a lot from the women who listen to the podcast and who read my website is, you know, how can I make a difference when I'm, you know, just stuck in whatever little podunk town wherever. And it's just really inspiring <laughs> to hear about somebody who's done it. Okay, so yeah, um, I think that's one of the big issues is that if you live in a city, it's easy to become a doula, but if you live outside of a city or if you've got small babies, um, you don't have babysitter or childcare. It's really hard to get the training that you need to be a, a great doula. And I think that having this online training really bridges that gap. Um, and that's something we would have never figured out had I not had to move away, which is kind of neat. We were able to turn something really hard into something really awesome. It's, it's also really yeah. great because um, we get access to not only like we think of North America of, you know, women in rural areas or, you know, women without access to training, but now we have women in Panama and in the Philippines and in Bahrain. Um, and, you know, there isn't, there are no doula trainings over in the Middle East. Um, so we now have students in those regions that are providing care that we, you know, in North America take for granted. Like, you know, you have a pick of the litter with doulas in most cities. Yeah. Um, and some of our grads, they're the only people offering those services you know, in in an area of, you know, 10 to 12 countries. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, and that's amazing. It just makes the mission so much more incredible because you're able to reach those women who wouldn't otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, just have those services or that empowerment. That's really cool. Thank you. Okay, ladies, I know that an area of particular interest for Babomia is helping mamas of all shapes and sizes have a healthy pregnancy. Today, moms who start pregnancy overweight are, I feel like they're at a particular risk, but maybe not for the reasons that many people think. Could you share some of the concerns that you have in particular for these mamas? Hmm. Well, it's interesting the way you worded that because it's true. Um, A lot of people see um, plus-size mothers as a risk, but they see it more as a medical risk where um, myself and, and you included, I think this is what you mean, is that um, they're at, at risk for being treated much differently than, than other women in their pregnancy and their birth, and they're at higher risk for unnecessary interventions and unnecessary cesarean sections. Um, so that's where I see the risk. Um, absolutely, there are risks to being a plus-size mama, but it's not the way that society perceives it. So it's not like you know, you're plus size, so automatically you're going to have a C-section or automatically you're going to have gestational diabetes or high blood pressure. Um, there is elevated risk, but not in the in the way that people perceive it. You know, it's not an absolute that you will have health problems because you're a bigger mom. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's people come in all shapes and sizes and, and all different health ranges. Um, and that's something we need to be looking at better rather than putting people in boxes of being like overweight or in a, in a higher BMI category obese and then saying for sure we have to treat them like a high risk patient. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, and I, I agree with you completely. Something that I've definitely seen in my decade of working with moms is that, you know, it's assumed to be a huge problem right from the get go and, and she's treated high risk and often I feel given advice that isn't, isn't really conducive to a healthy pregnancy and, Women need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. And we'll we'll dig into this more, I'm sure. But um, some of the recommendations and things that they're given and the ways that they're treated are bad by evidence. So right. I just, yeah, I'm just i really happy to have somebody on here to talk about this. So I appreciate you, ladies. Oh, thanks so for one of the things, yeah, one of the things that I know that you expressed to me that was um, – something that you've looked into is the BMI scale. And that's a tool that's used to define obesity across demographics, not just with pregnant women. I mean, most of us are pretty familiar with with the concept of the BMI scale. But why is it, you know, why is it a flawed tool to use? And how can it how can it be particularly detrimental to pregnant women? Well, the BMI scale is a pretty rudimentary tool. It literally takes your height and your weight and it gives you a number. And as we know, there's so many variables in one's weight, um, particularly that muscle weighs more than fat, for example. Um, it, as Natasha mentioned, it does not indicate your level of health. Um, there's lots of very thin people who, you know, are, have zero cardiovascular health, um, just as there's yeah. lots of plus-sized women who are athletes. Um, so it just spits out a number. And unfortunately, healthcare practitioners still just use that number. So if your number's over 30, you're obese. Um, and that obesity, like, I mean, by definition, Natasha's obese. And if you saw her, she's, I mean, she's a pre and postnatal fitness instructor. She eats really beautiful food. You know, she's a very healthful person. Um, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, it's a ridiculous definition. And so if she didn't advocate for herself, unfortunately her and millions of other women would just, um, based on their BMI number, be put through a high-risk, like, birth path um, and would not necessarily be set up to have a birth that could be possible for them. Or or would they even know that it is possible? Like, I'm lucky. I I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm currently pregnant, and I am in the obese range, like, using quotation marks. Um, uh, for, for my pregnancy and I'm lucky I happen to be a doula and I happen to know that I can have a positive birth and I don't have to change my birth plan because I happen to be in the obese category. It's really funny if you can see Natasha how not obese she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the most average looking woman. <laughs> yeah, I just look like a regular person, right? And, that, and that's the thing is that, um, when you, when you put people in these overweight and, um, obese categories, over 50% of the population fit into that category. So this isn't a marginalized community. This is people um, that are be- being yeah. put in high-risk categories um, for for sometimes no reason. Sometimes there is health issues, like I get tested to make sure that, you know, I don't have high sugar and all of that stuff. But so far, everything's been great. Um, but I'm very lucky that I don't I do know that a positive outcome is absolutely possible for me, where others might go to their healthcare provider and hear a different story right from the very beginning. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that there are so many dangers with that. And as you were talking initially, my thought was, you know, how many women don't even know or would, I mean, like you said, don't even know or how many women might know but might be afraid to advocate for themselves. Like you feel confident going in and advocating for yourself because you know, but how many women have a feeling I'm healthy but they don't know, you know, where's where's what I need to back it up with my health care provider because my health care provider is just going to assume because of the numbers on the scale. And I think, you know, that's just, I think that's unfortunate for women, maybe even scary to think about the outcomes that that could lead to, like Yelp said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really important that right from the very beginning you shop around for someone who is going to um, talk to you in a way that, you know, fosters a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery and, you know, talks to you like a person and not just a number on the scale. So um, make sure that if, like, if you are a plus size, a plus size mom and you're going to meet these um, healthcare providers that you, when you leave those appointments, you leave feeling like you were treated properly. You don't feel bad. You don't feel shamed. You don't feel scared. Um, you know, all of those things should be pink flags um, when you're talking with healthcare providers and like shopping around. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. So one of the things that we see a, a huge impact, I feel, on pregnant women who are plus size moms is weight gain recommendations. So can you comment <laughs> on weight gain recommendations for pregnant women who are classified as quote unquote overweight? I, I mean, are they safe? Are they evidence based? Well, the weight gain recommendations for all bodies are ridiculous. So I, I mean, <laughs> normal, and again, that's in, that's in air quotes. Um, so somebody who we're, we're full of air quotes. We're full of air quotes today. <laughs> um, the recommendation is 25 to 35 pounds for somebody who's in the normal range, which is if you took a poll of pregnant women, you'd find weight gain from 15 pounds to 120 pounds um, of all yeah. women who went into their, into their pregnancy in the normal range. Um, so once you start getting into the plus size, um, they do recommend that you put on less weight. Um, so once we're in the obese category, I mean, the recommendation is around 11 pounds that you should be putting on in your pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, your placenta and amniotic fluid and even a tiny baby is, is more than 11 pounds. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, it's not unlike being a, a woman in society, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, this is how much you're supposed to weigh and you need to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Um, so you need to restrict your food, you need to exercise more, all of these things, which may not, like, you don't want to take those habits into your pregnancy. So you don't want to take the habits, like, so many women go up and down on the scale, they crash diet, they exercise too much, like, all of these things that we're doing to fit into a box, you don't want to do that in pregnancy. Putting these restrictions on women does that. So instead of choosing to have, like, high-dense food like avocado, um, you might think, oh, well, that's too fatty, I can't have it, and I'm trying to not gain weight, and you might opt for, you know, a 100-calorie Oreo snack or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the restrictions, it's harder for us to make, you know, really helpful decisions, unless, of course, you're being followed by a nutritionist or, you know, you've gone out and chosen to have a nutritionist that can help you with those things. Um, so it's really putting restrictions on on pregnant women is no different than putting restrictions the way that we have on 
on, on every woman, every woman. Um, that, that struggles to fit within that box because we simply just don't do it. I think what was yeah. the stat? It was like one, one in four women can actually achieve the recommendation. Yeah, so they found that 25% of women um, don't put on enough weight. They go in underweight into pregnancy and stay underweight, leading to obviously smaller babies and the risk of preterm labor. And then they, 50% of women gain too much weight. So they, that left only one in four women that actually stayed in their, quote, recommended weight bracket yeah. for pregnancy. And I was like, well, if one yeah. in four are, you know, do, quote, doing it right, then, you know, maybe we need to actually look at these measurements if, if yeah. nobody's fitting in the box. Yeah. Yeah. It can indicate that the measurements are flawed. Yeah. Yeah. To our biological functions that we're measuring. Yeah. I mean, it, like Bianca was saying, like, we, we teach our doula training twice a year, and each time we teach it, we've got, you know, um, a remarkable amount of students who all are happy to share how much, because we have this conversation in our training, um, and they often are okay with sharing how much weight they gained. And, and so many of them are like, you know what? I was really fit. I worked out, you know, four or five times a week. I ate really well and still I gained 60 pounds. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's just, it's our body does what it's going to do when we're pregnant. And if you're mindful of what you're eating, you're, you're moving your body, you're reducing stress. That's the best we can do. Yeah, I mean, I've even had that experience. I mean, I'm I'm pregnant right now with baby number eight, so, and I definitely Whoa. feel like I, you know, I do everything right, and um, and still like, especially compared to my first pregnancy, which my oldest is almost sixteen, so sixteen years ago, you know, I I put on more weight, and I feel like I eat healthier now. So, it's just something. Yeah. That, and it can be difficult. I mean, it's difficult for me, and I've never been in a category that would really be classed overweight. And I just can't imagine how it feels for a woman to go into a care provider's office and, you know, have the nurse shame her. I have a midwife who's wonderful. Like, she won't even make me look at the scale if I don't want to. And I, But I know there's yeah. doctor's offices where a woman walks in and she's just shamed or she's – and like you said, you mentioned like a dietitian or a nutritionist, and I feel like for the most part, those practitioners are much more educated on healthy pregnancy diet. So, but a woman who doesn't, you know, who doesn't find that is like, and like you were saying, what extremes does she go to and what, what's the impact for her baby? Because we know that statistically a baby with a higher birth weight is healthier than a baby with a lower birth weight. And, and I even have to wonder when you shared, you know, that a quarter of the women are under the recommended weight gain. What are those women doing? You know, some women are naturally only going to gain a little bit with the pregnancy, but my guess would be some of those women are women who, like you said, are still using those yo-yo dieting methods or they're really exercising in a way that's maybe not appropriate for pregnancy and to to be able to fit into those guidelines that the doctors have set. And it's just, I just have to wonder, you know, what are we doing to our women? And there are studies that show that children in the womb when they're exposed to a quote-unquote, I'll use those air quotes, um, you know, starvation <laughs> scenario, then those children are programmed for obesity later in life on an epigenetic level. So what are these weight gain guidelines doing to the health of our moms and our children's future health? I think that's scary. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. First of all, congratulations on being a rate. Um, and <laughs> You're then, welcome. Yeah, second 
<laughs> Secondly, um, yeah, like you said, um, oftentimes our healthcare providers are not the best resource. Like our, our, you know, our OBs or our midwives are not the best resource for nutrition. So stepping outside of that and getting a nutritionist is a great idea, but not everybody has access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always affordable. Um, you know, it, it can be hard to get your hands on, uh, depending on where you live. So, um, yeah. while that would be great for everyone, it's not always available. So if you have been yo-yo dieting or crash dieting or starving yourself, um, and then you're being told to lose more weight, um, then that's probably what you'll keep up. Um, and again, like you said, that does impact the health of our babies. Yeah, so I think it's something we really need to, you know, we need to be aware of. So, like, so for a woman who's looking, we touched on this a little bit, but for a woman who's looking for a practitioner who is going to be body positive, you know, how does a woman find that practitioner who is positive and supportive of a truly healthy pregnancy? Um, well, there's a few things. I mean, Natasha and I always recommend that not like when you're shopping around, you also join some online communities and ask about that practitioner, but also sharing what you would like because, you know, some people would describe their practitioner as great because they just like turned over their autonomy to their care provider and just, you know, went along whatever their doctor said and in which case they were like, I had a good birth experience. Um, But if you Mm -hmm. wanted something that, you know, you were aiming for an unmedicated vaginal delivery or you wanted to have a C-section, but you wanted to have as close to, like, the natural experience as possible, like, really sharing what your birth outcomes are, and then ask how, you know, other people, other women in the birthing, you know, mom groups online and stuff, if they actually got that that result with the doctor. And I know we have plus-size clients here in Toronto, and their doctors tell them something like, you know, you can have a walking epidural, we're going to let you eat, um, we're going to give you a couple extra days before we induce you. Like these promises that make them feel really confident about their birth plan. But, um, and unfortunately, Natasha and I are always like, are you sure your doctor said that? Like, are you sure that's the plan that, they, that they're going to follow through with? And sure enough, when we get to the hospital, you know, none of those things actually go through. So making sure that it's not just lip service, that your healthcare provider um, that you're interviewing is, is saying to you. Yeah, so first of all, like asking those questions to your healthcare provider. I have this in mind for my birth. Um, I, you know, as I am, you know, this on the BMI scale or whatever, you know, is that going to impact my birth? For you, do you feel like that's going to impact my birth plan? Um, get the information from them, like how they see that. So if they're saying things like, oh, well, you know, we're going to be testing you for gestational diabetes right away because, you know, you might have diabetes right now. If they're saying like really negative things, being shameful, um, being absolute about how your birth is going to be because of your weight, um, that might not be the right practitioner. If they're saying things like Bianca's saying um, that sound promising and you feel hopeful, please check with the mom's group to make sure um, that yeah. they do follow through with these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, and also, what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, we there's just also some other ones that um, they might use images in their office that might feel more inclusive of body positivity. Um, they, you know, they just there might be other practices that you can tell that they they do, you know, support those the, the full spectrum of body shapes and sizes at their care facility. So, for example, like some of the medical equipment that could fit them, you know, for example, a blood pressure cuff or 
heart rate monitors, things like that. Like, are they adjusting to fit this population or not? Yeah, I guess, wow, that's really interesting to think about because I'm, I mean, I'm also a student midwife and so we always use a larger cup if it's a larger woman and it, it almost seems unfathomable to me that a practice wouldn't do that. So, yeah, that's definitely something to look at. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been so you've been working with plus size population in as um as a student midwife. Did just I'd love to hear from you. Like, do you do you find that people are being treated differently? I mean, I feel like in like in our practice, the practice that I'm a student in, I don't feel like we treat one mom differently than another. I mean, we offer well, we offer gestational diabetes testing universally, but. Any mom is able to decline if she wants. And, you know, if we had reason to suspect that maybe her sugars are higher, then we would recommend it more strongly. But I haven't heard anything, like, from my preceptors that I feel um, is discriminatory. And we've definitely, uh, you know, we've had some plus-size moms. And, like, as a student, my preceptor will tell me this this mom is a plus-size mom and this is something that we might see come up for that. But when we're treating the mom... And even when we're at her birth, I mean, for me, I've never seen a mom have any issues because of her size. So Mm -hmm. to me, it seems, you know, it seems it would be different. But I know that, like, we had one mom who had some issues in her pregnancy where we had her see an OB just for a consult. And she was a plus-size mom. And she really felt like the OB's office was very um, condescending towards her. So I think that that's definitely seen in the community. But, um, but, and then this same mom actually ended up having a transfer because she had a baby in a really wonky position. And she mm-hmm. wasn't happy with the hospital experience because she was unhappy with the transfer. But, um, mm-hmm. but my preceptor felt like the OB on call, fortunately, was actually quite respectful of her. So that was good because she was really worried from having already had an experience that she felt was negative. And the on-call OB was different than the one she consulted with. So it might have to do with, um, you know, it might have to do with who the practitioner is. But I feel like overall, and then we had, we had another mom, she just interviewed with us um, wanting a VBAC because she had, 12 years ago, she had a section for a breech baby and she's an you know she's an overweight mom and she felt kind of like when she went to the OB with this pregnancy some of the things that y'all are talking about the OB was automatically very negative um, wasn't giving her good chances of a VBAC because of her size and everything like that which is why she chose to come and interview with us so I don't know it's her choice if she signs on or not because the interview was just recently but that was her experience was that they were she said she wasn't sure if it was because of her size or not, but she kind of felt like it was, that they were pretty much saying, you know, that a VBAC is unrealistic for her. So, Yeah, a VBAC is one of those things that, um, you know, in smaller studies show that a VBAC is harder to have when you're a larger size, but we're not sure if that's because people are treated so differently and they're not given the opportunities that, you know, of you know, someone in a normal range would have, or if it's because of an actual reason. But again, it's not absolute. It's not like the risk triples or anything like that. It's just a moderate risk. And if we could give the proper numbers to women to say like, okay, well, because of your size, you know, a VBAC might be this percentage versus this percentage, then that might ease her worries, right? Like you all know, everybody knows that when people say things like, 
like absolutely it's a higher risk for you to do this, it sounds scarier than what the actual numbers often are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they have a way of making the numbers sound really scary. I guess that's a good, you know, this is a good point to talk about, you know, what are some of the changes a woman should know about during a plus-size pregnancy? You know, how does that impact her? Well, there's a, there, there is a slightly elevated risk of gestational diabetes, but it's, <laughs> it's not that much more. No, I mean, I just, so, I think what happens is people who are plus size automatically assume they're going to have gestational diabetes because that's how it's talked about mm-hmm. when really gestational diabetes affects women of absolutely all size. Um, so there is a moderate risk and the risk um, goes higher as the BMI goes higher. So somebody who's, uh, you know, 40 plus might have a higher risk, but it's still not that different from a normal pregnancy given that every, everyone could, anyone could have gestational diabetes. Um, and then there's also the issue of blood pressure. So preeclampsia is a higher risk with plus size moms, but just moderate. Um, and then also a lot of people talk about gestational, uh, I'm sorry, big babies with plus size moms. So yeah. that's one of the big scares is this big baby thing, um, which we all know is not really an indicator for everything that they say. So it's like, oh, you have a big baby, you have to have a C-section. And that's not true um that's not how it works um and so like really what an indicator of a big baby is often is having gestational diabetes so having a big baby just because you're overweight um or in the overweight category um is simply not true (laughs) yeah you need the middle step of gestational diabetes to get that and even still it's not an indicator for automatic automatic cesarean right yeah Um, yeah i mean i think those are some of the things Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I just, I, I really think that the big baby and, and gestational diabetes assumptions are interesting. I find, I, I'm skeptical of the whole um, gestational diabetes thing completely, which I've talked about in other podcasts. But, um, you know, but I feel like what we should really be teaching women is, is to eat well and, you know, that, like you said, an avocado is, is better than an Oreo snack regardless of calories because there's so much else we need to take into consideration, but, you know, I, I see a lot of moms who are plus size who end up having these small babies, and again, you really wonder, and, and we know, like, statistically that a larger baby is healthier than a smaller baby, like low birth weights are something that we worry about, so why do we teach women yeah. something or say something to them that's going to lead to to a lower birth weight baby, and when, you know, when I say a bigger baby, I'm not talking about a 10 or 11 pounder, but I've, I've seen a couple of 10 or 11 pounders in our practice and they were, you know, they were just <laughs> healthy, vigorous babies. And I, and I do think there's a big difference between a baby who is going to be like a big baby from a mom who's been eating really well and then from a mom who's been, you know, eating French fries and things throughout her pregnancy who's going to have, they they look different. Like you could put two 10-pounders together and a mom who's eating well, their baby just looks kind of like a little football player, whereas if a mom truly has gestational diabetes or even full-blown diabetes, the babies look different. They look unhealthy. Mm -hmm. They look kind of puffy, not just like sturdy. Yeah, right, absolutely. You know, I feel like we need to be, you know, we need to be talking to moms about, about what you're eating, not limiting what you're eating in the sense that you can't eat as much because we don't want you to gain as much, but 
what's the quality of your food and, you know, what are you eating to get that number of calories? Because if she's getting a 1,000 calories on Cheerios and French fries and Twinkies, that's, you know, that's not healthy. Whereas if a woman's getting 2,300 calories on, you know, grains and healthy starchy veggies and proteins and that sort of thing, well, who's going to have the healthier baby and the better pregnancy outcome? And I, that's just not a conversation that the obstetric world seems to have, which boggles my mind. Yeah, and that's something that's happening. If, if if a woman comes into a practice and you say automatically, you know what, you're going to have gestational diabetes, we're just going to moni- monitor your sugars or, you know, whatever it is they say, you're you're closing the door to the conversation of, of, of changing habits to something that could be a really positive life change for somebody. So walking a little bit more is going to reduce the amount, the incidence of gestational diabetes. Like you said, having those those grains and protein and all of that stuff to accumulate your calories is going to make a huge difference. So if you're not having that conversation because the conversation instead is like, let's just monitor your sugars um, and do this whenever your sugars are high, um, you're losing a huge opportunity to have a healthy pregnancy and a, and a healthy change in someone's life, which is something that, you know, um, someone in the normal category might absolutely have that conversation and have those healthy changes and start going to yoga and start walking and start um, eating healthier because they're growing a, a baby. Um, and plus-size women might, might not be um, getting in on that conversation, which is such a good conversation to have. Yeah, and I mean, I do think, you know, one thing that is valid with gestational diabetes is we know that women are who are diagnosed with gestational bi- diabetes have a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes later on. So like you're saying, I mean, absolutely, we shouldn't just be making assumptions about her. We should be talking about lifestyle changes that can impact her health and pregnancy and help her have a healthier baby and also impact her lifelong health. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think it's just, it's really important, and I'm so glad that y'all are here to share because it's definitely, I mean, it's a conversation that women need to hear because, they're not hearing it in the mainstream world. So I really appreciate you and, and you know, being willing to speak out about it. Absolutely. We're glad to be here and um, find this is a, a really important topic. Um, Bianca and I, uh, we teach a, a program called Diverse Families here, and it, it's all about working with, um, you know, families that fit outside the, like, normal box. And for some reason, we we did this talk one time, and we've been doing it ever since, just because it, um, it we feel like it's so needed. It's such a big topic that people aren't talking about, and it's not a small population of people who are dealing with this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're really glad that you were able to have us on. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Gal. Can you tell us where women could find out more about Babomia, and is there anything you'd like to direct listeners to in particular? Um, for sure, yeah. So you can go to babomia.com. That's B-E-B-O-M-I-A.com. And there's all of our courses and our certifications as well as our blog, which we always have really interesting conversations happening there. Um, you can also head over to our Facebook page, which is just forward slash Babomia Inc. And we do weekly Facebook Lives and, again, really great conversations around um, birth, pregnancy, parenting, and um, healthcare businesses over there as well. Cool, that sounds really exciting. So I'll put those links um, on the show notes page so that listeners can get to those 
more easily. And otherwise, thank you again so much, ladies. It has been a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm so grateful for the message that you're bringing to women and families everywhere. Thank you. I just want to say thank you again to Bianca and Natasha for sharing all of their wisdom and experience and their practical advice. I hope that you got as much out of it as I did. Remember, you can find more from them at babomia.com. That's babomia.com. And if you want to get updates, tips, and other things for me about your pregnancy and as you prepare for your birth, head over to Trust Birth 101, that's Trust Birth 101, and sign up for the newsletter. I would love to have you there, and I will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.